Hey everyone, this is Johnny Martinez, pastor of Restoration Church, and welcome to our podcast. We hope this podcast inspires you and encourages you as you seek to follow Jesus. We hope you enjoy the sermon. I'm really looking forward to today's message because, um, you know, when I decided to, to go through the gospel of Mark and to really just take it section by section, I really asked God to line up, you know, the, the text to, you know, things that are going on in our world and to really line up whatever we're going to be talking about uh, to, you know, whatever text it is, to, to line it up with whatever's going on in our culture or whatever's, whatever the church needs or whatever it is. And it's really interesting how God does that, how as we're going through this book of the Bible, through this text, over the last, what, I think six months already, we've seen like just topics that that are very um, uh, relevant to what we are going through as a church and as a people and, and in our culture and in our world. And God has just been sovereignly like ordaining like all of these topics. Uh, and that's what I just love seeing how God does that uh, through the, as we work through our, the book of the Bible here. Um, and today is no different. Uh, today is no different. I, I really, as I was studying this, this uh, passage for today, Oh my God, we, we really, really need this. We really need to hear this. And I think this is a, an important message for today. I titled the message for today, The Nature of the Kingdom. The Nature of the Kingdom. So if you have your Bibles, which I encourage you to have, whether uh, in your phone or physically, is turn to Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4, verse 30 through 34. Mark chapter 4, verse 30 through 34. We're going to be looking at those uh, verses today. Uh, let me just give you some context. So, so far uh, in Mark chapter 4, we have seen Jesus uh, speak to his disciples and to the crowds in parables, uh, in, in stories. And so the first parable was the parable of the soils. And really it was a response, like the way that people respond to the word of God. Uh, some people are hard soil, some people are soft, some people are good soil, some people are shallow souls or crowded souls. And so this is a different response to the word of God. Uh, the second parable that he uh, spoke about was the parable of the lamp. And it's really our responsibility uh, with the light that Jesus has given us. What are we doing with his word? What are we doing with what we know? What are we doing with the insights that he has given us? Are we putting them under a bowl or under a basket or under a bed? Or what are we doing with those? The third parable was the parable of the seed. And it was a reminder of the mystery and the power of the word of God. That, you know, that, that, that it's, it's our job simply to sow the seed and what, church? Come on, I know you know this. Just to go to sleep. There we go. You're tracking with me. And that's really what Jesus was saying. Hey, all you got to do is sow the seed and let, let, let me work through people. And today is the parable of the mustard seed. And it's really going to be talking about the nature of the kingdom of God. And really this parable, if you look at it, and I, by the end, I hope you realize this, that this parable is more like a prophecy. Uh, really giving us some insight into the future of the kingdom of God, into the future of the church. And so let's read that together today. Verse 30, he said, With what can we compare the kingdom of God, or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground, is the smallest of all the seeds on the earth. Yet, when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches, so that the birds of the air can 
make nests in its shade. Verse 33, with many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. Let's pray. Worthy, worthy, worthy are you, Lord. There is no name like you, Jesus, no name like the name of Jesus on heaven and all of the earth. And God, I pray today that your name may be glorified in our church and in this service through the worship, through the music, through the proclamation of your word. God, I pray that you be glorified, that your name, Jesus, may be lifted up. Holy Spirit, I pray you would speak to us today. Would you speak to us clearly? Would you encourage us today of what type of family we are in and what type of kingdom we belong to, God? God, I pray that as the world grows darker and darker, may we be reminded today, God, that nothing and no one will prevail against your church. God, speak to us powerfully today. In your name we pray, amen and amen. Church, if I would have given you an assignment today, if I gave you an assignment today and I said, hey, uh, here is your mission, here is your assignment, and you don't know what it is until you open the envelope and you go and take the assignment. But what if I told you, if I give you this assignment today, I promise you that you cannot fail. Like, I promise you that you will succeed on whatever mission it is. You don't know what the mission is yet, but, I said, but, I, but, but I'm going to tell you, like, what if you can't fail? You're not going to fail. You're going to succeed. You're going to be a winner no matter what the mission is. What if I gave you that mission? What if I gave you that charge and told you that no matter what, you will succeed? How many of you would be okay with that? How many of you would be encouraged by that? You're like, okay, cool. I'm going to be a winner. Like, this is awesome. Like, I'm totally for it. Like, if I'm guaranteed to accomplish this mission and I'm guaranteed to be a winner, like, I will take it. And it would be encouraging because you can't lose, right? It's kind of like being on Tom Brady's team, right? You just can't lose. Like, that is just a winner. And, uh, but, but I don't know about you, but I would be encouraged by that. I would take it. I'd be like, whatever it is, it don't matter what it is. Mission on, baby, because I'd be encouraged by it. No matter what's going no to no happen, I'll succeed. There's no room for failure. And the truth is, church, that in all reality, God has given you and given me and given us, the church, a mission. A mission to preach the gospel. A mission to save souls. A mission to proclaim the good news, the, the, the message of the kingdom. And guess what? We already know the score. We're going to win. We already know the end story. We know how things are going to end up already. Mission accomplished. That is the reality of the church, that God has given us a mission. And guess what? We're not going to fail. We're not going to. We can't fail, actually. But you know what I started thinking about these, these last couple of months, especially with everything going on in our culture? I've notice I've had conversations with people. I have read articles. I have read people's social medias. And what I've really discovered is that there are a lot of us, a lot of believers who think, man, like what's going to happen with the church, with this change? And, 
in, in, in our culture and in our country. You know, prior to the election, it was, man, if so-and-so becomes the president, there goes the church. There goes our religious freedoms. Uh, and, and then after the presidency, man, there goes the church. What's going to happen to the church? We're going to get persecuted. All of these things. And there's kind of like this sense of losing hope for the church. I don't know how many times I've heard that or seen that at some point or another. But here's the thing. When I hear those comments, when I see those things on social media, I'm just like, I just, I just can't grasp that because Scripture tells us otherwise. Like Scripture tells us no matter what, the church is going to move forward. That the, that the kingdom of God is unstoppable. And so today in our culture, we have this like, man, who knows what's going to happen with the church. It's kind of like almost lost hope for the church and for the kingdom of God. But the truth is that our trust is on God not on anyone else, not on, not on culture, not in money, not in the person in, in office or whatever it is. It's on God and the king and, and God's promises. And by no means is this a political message or anything like that. But I really believe that today you're going to see that no matter what happens in our culture, in our country, and in our world, the kingdom of God is going to move forward. And so Jesus explains that to us here today in the nature of the kingdom of God in Mark chapter 4. So there's three things that Jesus wants us to understand about the nature of the kingdom of God. And the first is this, if you're taking notes, it starts small. It starts small. The kingdom of God starts small. Verse 30 says, and he said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God? Or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed. It's like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on the earth. So let's go back a little bit. What is the kingdom of God? You guys remember? What is the kingdom of God? It is God's reign, right? Through God's people over God's place. It is God's reign. He is the king of kings and Lord of lords. He is the king of this earth. He is the king of heaven. He is the king of all of his creation, both invisible and visible. So God is the king. God's reign through God's people, you and I, the church, that how, that's how he advances the kingdom, his mission, his purposes for the world, his saving work in the hearts of people. So it's God's reign through God's people over God's place. What's God's place? Where does his kingdom rest? Primarily in our hearts. God reigns in our hearts when we become converted, when he saves us through his sovereign grace. That's one place here and now that God reigns. Also in the future, when the, when the kingdom of God is also a future and physical place. Like I mentioned two weeks ago, I think, the kingdom of God, did you know, is going to be a literal place. Did you know that heaven is not our final destination? Heaven is a, a pit stop to where we're going. There will be a new heaven and a new earth uh, recreated, a, a restored, a new garden, a new Eden that God will one day rule God's place in our hearts here. Now in the future, the new heavens in the new earth. So it's, it's, he's talking about the kingdom of God. And he says that the kingdom of God, right, God's saving work for his people, God's redeeming work, is like a mustard seed. It's like a mustard seed. You know, and think about this. One might think that Jesus would have used something else, right? Like, not, why, why would Jesus use a mustard seed? 
Why doesn't he use like an oak tree or, or like a cedar or something big, big, but he uses a mustard seed. And a mustard seed was the smallest of the seeds known to Jesus' audience of that day. It was a tiny little seed about the size of a grain of sand. And Jesus says, this is what the kingdom is like. It's tiny. It's a small seed. It's really little. It's a small, the passage says, it's the smallest of all the seeds on the earth. I want to put a pause for a second there. Maybe you've already experienced this or maybe not, but I think one day you might, but just to let you know, one day someone's going to come up to you and say, hey, the Bible has a bunch of errors. And let me point out one of the errors. Well, Jesus says here that um, the mustard seed is the smallest of all the seeds on the earth. That's not true. Because the smallest of, of, of one of the, the smallest seeds on all of the earth is actually found in the tropical rainforest, and it's about one three hundredth of a three hundred of an inch long. And so Jesus is lying, like it's really incorrect. You see, here's the thing. Jesus is not trying to be extremely accurate about uh, teaching plant 101. He's, he's, just, he's just talking to the people in the context of their day. They, they saw the mustard seed as the smallest seed that they knew of of their day. And so sometimes people are going to say, well, Jesus was lying because the mustard seed is not the smallest seed on all the earth. And yeah, that's true. But for the people of his day, it was. And so people try to do all these gymnastics, try to trip you up, but just know that that's one good answer for that. But anyway, back to what we're saying. The kingdom of God, the church, starts small. It starts small. And God uses small things to make an impact. I mean, think about this. Throughout scripture, Jesus does this. Gideon's tiny army of 300 men Defeated, defeated the Midianites, a massive army, in Judges chapter 7. David, a little shepherd boy, killed Goliath. A small little shepherd boy killed Goliath and became Israel's greatest king. Jesus used with 12 disciples, sinners and tax collectors and murderers. The 12 were messed up. He started the greatest movement to save humanity. Think about this. Do you see the gospel in here? Jesus, born in Bethlehem, grew up in Nazareth. What comes out of Nazareth? Nothing good. It's this crappy old town out of something small, something insignificant came the savior of the world. Do you see the gospel? You see Jesus? I mean, Jesus like comes out of every page of scripture. It's the gospel. And God uses small things to make a big impact. This is not the first time that Jesus uses the mustard seed. In Matthew chapter 17, verse 20, he says this, because of your little faith, for truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. Jesus said, hey, if you even, if you even have faith as, as little of a mustard seed, could you imagine what you could do? Small things that God uses, small things, the insignificant things that God uses to make a big impact. And so I just want to encourage you today, don't underestimate the small acts of kindness that you can do for others. 
don't underestimate the small acts of love, of encouragement. Maybe it's an encouraging text or an encouraging note to a friend. It's simply holding the door open. It's, It's praying for someone at work. I mean, whatever it is, don't underestimate the small things that God is calling you to do. Those are important. Those are very, very important. The small things, the kingdom of God starts small. But we'll see that it doesn't stay small. The church, the kingdom of God will continue to move forward and it will grow large. And that's the second point to, to the second point. The first point is that it, it, it's small, it starts small, but then it grows large. The church, the kingdom of God grows large. Verse 32 says, yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches. Isn't that interesting? This small, tiny, little seed, when you plant it, it's like the, the grain of sand, but it grows, to be, uh, uh, it grows to be one of the largest and the largest garden plants of the day. It is said that sometimes, on average, it grows about to be 10 feet tall, a mustard seed plant, a mustard plant. Uh, but sometimes they actually get up to 15 feet tall, the 15 feet tall. And it started with a seed the size of a grain of sand. So too, church, the kingdom of God will start small, but it will grow large and it will grow gradually. The church started small. It started with Jesus and his 12 crazy disciples and has grown throughout history. There's a study that came out and uh, Christianity is still the largest religion of the day with 2.3 billion Christians on this earth. 2.3 billion people of the faith. Yet it started with what? Jesus and the 12. It started with them. It started with them. So it starts small and it grows large. And guess what? There is nothing that can stop the kingdom of God. There is nothing that can stop the church. You see, the the word here to grow or grows up is in the present tense in the original language, which means that it has this continual, ongoing, moving forward aspect to it meaning that no matter what, the church will always grow up. The kingdom of God will always grow up. The kingdom of God will always advance and move forward no matter what. Let me give you a brief church history lesson. I'm not sure if you've ever studied church history, but this is super, super encouraging. In 35 AD, just a few years after Jesus ascended back to the Father, Stephen was stoned to death. He was the first martyr for Christ. And nearly all of the apostles died for their faith, AD 35. AD 64, Nero was, Nero, Emperor Nero was the first to systematically persecute Christians. What he would do is he would burn them on stakes in his garden, light them on fire. He would throw them to be eaten by lions. A hundred years later, after the Nero persecutions, Christians were killed in mass quantities for refusing to renounce their faith. It was not common for Christians of the day to be robbed, assaulted, and stoned. AD 250, 
there was a command for everyone in Rome to sacrifice to Roman gods or immediately face execution. And so Christians in 250 AD were constantly being put to death and executed for their faith. This happened until 300 AD when Constantine came into power and legalized Christianity. 717 AD, Christians were restricted in many countries. You couldn't display a cross that you'd be beaten, arrested, or put to death. There were the rebuilding of churches. There were churches that, that were destroyed, actually, in 717 AD. 1300 AD, Christians were massacred in Persia, Mesopotamia, Asia Minor, and Syria. 1600 AD, the emperor of China banned Christianity for 100 years. 1850 AD, the queen of Madagascar prohibited the practice of Christianity, and it is estimated that over 100,000 Christians died. 1917 AD, 1917, tens of thousands of churches were destroyed in Russia. And it resulted in the death of over 500,000 Christians. 1983, it is estimated that over 1 million people were martyred in Sudan for their faith. 1983, present day, today, there's a lot of countries where Christianity is punishable by death or imprisonment. Or there's some countries that if you try to convert someone to Christianity, they will put you in jail or kill you. And guess what? 2.3 billion Christians still today. And here we are, present day. After all of this, after all the persecution, after all of the obstacles, here we are, moving forward. Nothing can stop the church. Nothing can stop the kingdom of God. Why? Because Jesus said in, Mark, in Matthew chapter 16, and I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail. Jesus said that he will build his church. He will build the kingdom through us, and the gates of hell shall not prevail. So it doesn't matter, church, what's going on in our culture. It doesn't matter who is in the White House. It doesn't matter what happens. What matters is that the church in the kingdom of God, the advancement of the church in the kingdom of God is rooted in the promises of Christ, that he will build his church no matter what happens. So you know what, if we do get persecuted, so what? So what if they take away our religious freedom? They can't take away your hope. They can't take away our peace. They can't take away your joy. They can't take away your salvation. They can't take away the spirit that dwells in you. So what? They can't take the message of the gospel in us. So what? The kingdom of God will always advance. The church will always prevail. And so, yes, we are a new church. We are a new church here in Northwest Peoria. But I want you to see something. If you, if you drew a family tree of the church, Restoration Church would go back all the way to Jesus in the 12. It's a new church with ancient roots. And so we're just a continuation of the kingdom of God, the church moving forward, 
no matter what. No matter what opposition might come to the church, it is simply an opportunity for us to proclaim the gospel, tell people about Christ, to save people. So church, listen, yes, our world is crazy right now, but Jesus didn't call us to, to, to complain. He called us to proclaim. That's what he did. He, said, he didn't call us to, to, to complain about what's going on and about how we might, the church might be stopped or the church might be stifled or hindered. He didn't call us to complain. He called us to proclaim. Christina said this a while ago. She said, could you imagine the impact we can have if we focus more on preaching the gospel than about preaching about politics and about arguing about those types of things? Could you imagine if we spent more time sharing Christ, saving people? That's what matters, man. Church, we will not be stopped. The kingdom of God will move forward. The church will always, always move forward, no matter what comes. It will start small, but it will grow large gradually over time. And third, the church, the kingdom of God, blesses all. It blesses all. Blesses all, all people. It says, so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. Who are the birds in this passage? Who are the birds in this story? You think about it? Let me give you, a, let me give you just a quick tip on Bible in interpretation. Let scripture interpret scripture. When there's something that is kind of ambiguous or you kind of don't know how to take it, let scripture interpret scripture. If there's something that's not clear, go to other passages of, this, of the Bible to help you interpret that passage. So who are the birds here? Do you remember the last time we talked about birds? I hope you do, because it's in this chapter. It's in this chapter. Remember, we're talking about the, the parable of the soils, right? And the, the sower sows the seed and the bird comes and what picks it up. That's the last time we talked about birds. Let me just refresh you a little bit. Mark chapter four, verse three through four. This is Jesus saying, listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some, some seeds fell along the path and the birds came up and devoured it. That was Jesus telling the parable. And then Jesus explains the parable in verses 14 and 15. It says this, the sower sows the word. And these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. So who is the bird? It's Satan. It's Satan himself, and it is those that Satan has control over, namely demons and unbelievers. That is who the birds represent here. Now, isn't that interesting? In the kingdom of the God, as it grows large and it grows big, there will be both believers and unbelievers in the church. We will always have a mixed group in the church. We will never have a pure, 100% pure church. And so the birds represented by Satan and those he has control over, namely unbelievers, will benefit, right? Because the passage, what does it say? It says that they make a nest in, in its shade. 
So there is a benefit from this mustard tree. There is a benefit from the kingdom of God. There is a benefit from the church that unbelievers can take shade in. You see that? That unbelievers profit and are blessed by the church and by the kingdom of God. The church provides a blessing to the world. The church provides a blessing to both believers and unbelievers. Like I mentioned earlier, we're always going to have a mixed group. The birds are in the mustard seed somehow. The birds are, are, are taking advantage and being blessed by the shade it provides, by the protection it provides. And so I want to just take a moment here really briefly to explain to you something. To explain to you kind of this theological idea or, 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 or terminology. There is what we call and theologians call common grace. Common grace, which is common to all man. Common grace is the grace of God for believers and unbelievers. And in Matthew, in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, Matthew, he says, hey, the sun rises and falls on the just and the unjust. And the sun comes up and, and the rain comes down, the rainfall comes down on the unjust and the just as well. And so Jesus blesses through his common grace both believers and unbelievers. Common grace. It's common to all men. But that is different than Jesus' saving grace. Jesus' saving grace is simply for believers, those who he calls, those who redeems, those who by his sovereign grace calls and redeems a people to himself. And so here, it's an example of common grace where people who don't know Jesus benefit from the mustard tree, benefit from the kingdom of God, benefit from the church. And throughout history, the church has been a positive influence and a positive blessing to our world and to our community. Did you know that hospitals came about because of the church? Did you know that? Did you know that hospitals came through the church? The Red Cross was a church. You see, Jesus healed people. We know that, right? Jesus healed body and soul. You see, the interesting part is that Rome had no respect for sick people or dying people. Neither did the Greeks. But the Christians, the Christians of the day, they started hospitals. They started hospitals. They started mental institutions. Did you know that? They started nursing homes. Christians did that. And Christians continue to bless the world through education, through the sciences, through charity, through compassion. The Romans of the day, of Jesus' day, they weren't all about charity. They didn't care about charity. But yet the Christians, guess who took care of the orphan, the children, and the aged? It was the Christians. Believer, non-believers. The church stepped up and blessed the world. And it continues to do that to this day. It blesses all. It blesses the world. And then lastly, Jesus here, he ends in verse 33 and verse 34. He says, with many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples. He explained everything. So here, Jesus is basically just giving us a summary of what's happened in chapter four. He's essentially saying, you know what? I used parables to conceal and reveal. 
I, I used parables to conceal the truth from people who are hard-hearted, who are hard soils. I use stories and parables so that people will not understand the truth because they can't even understand the simple message of the gospel. How will they understand this truth? And so Jesus purposely teaches them in parables so they can't understand. But to those who accept and receive the message of the gospel, Jesus explains the parables and reveals to them the true meaning of the parables. And so this is the last parable in chapter four. So church, what does this then mean to us? What does this mean to us? How do we move forward then knowing that the kingdom of God, the church, it starts small. It starts small. It had a small, insignificant start with Jesus himself coming from Nazareth, born in a manger, but yet has grown to be the largest religion on earth with 2.3 billion people. It grows large. What do we do now that we know that nothing and no one can stop the church? that it's an unstoppable force, that it is rooted in God's character, in God's promises, that Jesus said that I will build my church. What do we do now that we see the church being a blessing to both believers and unbelievers as a sign of God's common grace to all men? First, I wanna talk to those of you who don't know God and you're an unbeliever. And I, can, I can't assume, church, that those of you here today and those of you watching online and maybe even watching later are saved. I can't make that assumption. Only God knows. But my question is, are you a bird? Are you a bird? Are you in the mustard tree receiving the blessing and benefits of the church and the kingdom of God? Or are you a branch? Are you a branch? Are you a bird? A branch is grafted into the mustard tree. A branch is part of the kingdom of God. A branch is the the part of the true people of God. Are you a bird or a branch? If you're a bird, Jesus came for you. If you're not truly saved, if you never repented and placed your faith in Christ, you're a bird. Jesus came for you to die for you. He paid the price for your sins on the cross. That he lived the life that you couldn't live and died the death that you should have to give you life, to give you forgiveness, to give you hope, he could give you more than simply just shade. He could give you eternal life, eternal life with him. So I can't assume where your spiritual condition is here today. But whatever it is, I pray that you would come to Christ. I pray that you would have some assurance of salvation. How do you know that you're saved? I think one of the easiest ways we know if we are saved, or maybe some of the early evidences that we're saved is, one, do we hate the sin that we once loved? 
Do we hate the sin we once loved? And do we pursue the God we once ignored? Just small evidences that God has truly transformed us from the inside out. My hope and my prayer is that you would give your life to Jesus. Believers, what about us? I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you today. And hope this passage was encouraging, that nothing can stop us. That the work that you do is not in vain. It might sometimes seem that you're working and you're serving, especially those of you in the dream team, and you're like, is there there any change happening? Yes, there is. God is always working. And the work that you do for God, both inside and outside of the church, in your family, with your friends, with your family, is advancing the kingdom of God. And don't put your eyes on the world. Don't put your eyes on other external things, but on Christ himself. Nothing can stop the church. I encourage you. I encourage you. Not only that, but man, this is a challenge to us, isn't it, church? What a challenge it is to us. There's still a lot of work to do, isn't there? There's a lot of work to do. That the kingdom of God will just not move by itself. But Jesus says, well, I will build my church. But how does he do that? Through you and I. Through us. Through small acts of love. Small acts of service. Through small acts of living out the gospel and preaching the gospel and loving people. Be encouraged. Be challenged. There's a lot of work to do. What if... What if restoration is a church that says, you know what? I'm not going to focus on the outside. I'm not going to focus on what this world says. I'm not going to focus on what goes on in this world. I'm going to be rooted and strengthened in the promises of God. Because guess what? We are on a winning team. We cannot fail, and we will not fail. We can't. You pray with me today. God, I want to thank you. I want to thank you for how you ordain passages. God, you knew that we needed to hear that today. And while there are many people who doubt the advancement of the church who find themselves anxious because of what's going to happen to your church whose eyes are fixed on the physical things of this world and not the spiritual things whose hearts are set on the materialistic things of this world on the external things, on culture and not on Christ. That you remind us today that you are a covenant-keeping God, that your promises will never fail. Even in the midst 
of opposition. Even in the midst of persecution, even in the midst of adversity, you, Jesus, will build your church and the gates of hell shall not prevail. And so church, give us great boldness and passion to proclaim from the rooftop the message of the gospel. To proclaim with everything that we have that you are the way, the truth, and the life. And that no one comes to you, comes to the Father except through you. Pray that those believers who are listening in here today or online, you remind them that they're on a winning team. We're on a winning team. The end is already written. And with great confidence and great joy, in great perseverance, we push forward, advancing your kingdom, giving up generously of our time, our talents and treasures for your kingdom. God, we trust you. We pray that you would lead the way, no matter what comes. Thank you for every single person here Thank you for the dream team who serves week in and week out, who advances your kingdom one step at a time, one service at a time, taking care of one kid at a time, one coffee at a time. As people set up the chairs, one chair at a time. God, we're in this. We're not gonna quit. I'm going to trust in you with all of our heart, God. We thank you. In your name we pray. Amen and amen. Thank you for listening. Special thanks to those who give generously to this ministry. Without you, this ministry would not be possible. If you feel led to give, please use the link below as we seek to make a difference in people's lives. Also, please make sure to share this with your family and your friends. Again, thank you so much for listening.